Um, now, I wonder uh, if you would start by just having a look around you, and I want you to kind of fix your eyes on someone who you think is a little bit older. Now, I realise that for one person, this is certainly going to be slightly awkward. I don't know who the eldest one is. If, that, if you think that might be you, just kind of sit there like that, staring straight ahead. Um, but, so look around, find someone who's five or ten years older than you, and I want you to ask yourself a question. How do you think your life will be different when you're that age? How do you think your life will be different when you're that age? How do you think it will affect how you spend your time? Whether you're um, at university anymore or maybe you're starting work. Maybe you're finishing work. How will your family circumstances be different? Children grown-up, grandchildren. How do you think your priorities will change in five or ten years' time? Why? Now, a question for, for Christians here. How will you ensure that you're still going strong in your faith when you're that age? In five or ten years' time, what will you need to do? Or do you think it will just happen naturally? How will you stand firm? And that's the question we're looking at um, in our passage this evening. That's actually how the passage ends. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. And just before, he's uh, explained how that will happen. And in a way, this is kind of the second half of the passage we, we looked at last week. And there's kind of plenty of practical application in this. So I hope we draw that out. Now, um, one of my many problems is that I'm a bit of a Twitter addict. And um, it is a problem. And I kind of have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it. On the one hand, it's a great bit of um, social media um, that you can kind of get an insight into people's lives in, a, in, in quite a personal way um, that you would never have been able to previously. Um, you probably get to read articles uh, that you wouldn't see if you just picked up your newspaper or turned to the BBC Sport website. Um, you also get to get challenged, I think, from time to time by different perspectives on um, the news, what's going on around us. But also, um, on the one hand, while it can be good, it can be, I think, very depressing, um, particularly from a Christian point of view. I think you become more and more aware of the uh, kind of antagonism and the strength of feeling um, against Christians. Sometimes it's mocking, militant atheism. You can feel depressed as you see um, church leaders. You look at their Twitter accounts um, who used to be um, orthodox Bible-believing leaders. And over the years, um, they've succumbed to liberalism, to the wisdom of this age. And not only um, can it be depressing, I think sometimes it can feel uh, like we're being shaken by it. That um, a few years ago, maybe, maybe 10 or 20, I guess we always feel like that, that things were better 10 or 20 years ago, but at one time it felt that perhaps there was a stream of kind of opposition. Um, perhaps we were kind of gently teased. Um, our opinion on um, abortion wasn't particularly liked, but it was tolerated as a different view. But now it feels that that stream has become more of a raging torrent of opposition, sometimes contempt. And as Christians, we can feel like we're fighting 
to stand still in the face of that. Fighting against the river of worldliness that threatens to push us back, to topple us and sweep us away. I wonder if you feel like that. Well, if we do, Paul has words of encouragement for us this evening. Uh, Two very practical instructions. How do we stand firm as Christians? The first is this, we must follow the right examples. I've mentioned Twitter already, but you might apply this to Instagram or Pinterest or or Facebook. And um, just think about some of the people uh, that that you follow, the people you're friends with. What do they add to your life? How do they challenge or or inspire you? Because Paul says it's very important. Paul says there are actually only two options in the way we we live lives. We can choose to follow good examples. This is verse 17. Me, Paul, not me, Chris Jennings. um, you You should follow me and also follow those around you who live according to the pattern we gave you. That's option one. Follow the good examples. And option two is live according to the way of the world and its pattern. And Paul says, if we're going to stand firm, we've got to follow good, godly examples. So we should be asking, what is the pattern Paul gave them? And hopefully, if you've been here any other weeks, uh, as we've been looking at Philippians, you'll have heard lots of things that Paul said. And previously, he said, be pure, blameless, abounding in love, not complaining, or arguing. But Paul doesn't repeat uh, that list here. Paul says, actually, what I'm going to do is draw a contrast with the way of the world of how we should not live. And Paul's pretty black and white in his language, isn't he? Verse 18, for as often to As I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul never minces his words. And yet Paul doesn't lack compassion. He's not seeking to condemn by his judgment. Look, he weeps over those who aren't choosing the way of the cross. Verse 18. And we can speculate a bit about whether Paul's uh, got in mind outsiders, um, people who have never responded to the gospel, or, or, or perhaps in his visits to Philippi, um, he's, he's noticed on his latest one that some of the people who were there originally aren't there anymore. For any of us who have been um, youth group leaders or, or home group leaders, it's a particular sadness, isn't it, when, when we see someone who seems to be really going for it in their Christian faith. Um, and then slowly over, over time, they become less regular. And then maybe after two or three years, we just don't see them anymore. Maybe Paul's got them in mind. But as we consider the way of the world that Paul holds up, we don't approach this in a sense of judgment. But I hope with, with, with tears. I must be praying for myself that uh, knowing that the, that the path of the world leads to destruction drives me to my knees to pray with tears over those who don't yet know Christ well so what's the first sign or what's the first error of the world's way and Paul kind of works works backwards I think Um, so if you look at the end of verse 19 Paul says their mind is on earthly things it's in the wrong place Um, cast your mind back to what Paul has said previously his first prayer for the 
Philippians in, in, in chapter 1 was that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And it's a common refrain in Paul's letters in the New Testament that he wants Christians to grow up. He says elsewhere that you know, he doesn't want Christians to be babies. They need solid spiritual food to grow up as Christians. So I thought to myself as I was preparing this, what have I done this week that has helped me grow up in my faith? In my Christian wisdom? We had a good challenge um, some weeks ago in our um, home group, which is, what's the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up, when your alarm goes off? And for many of it, us, I guess it's that we grab our mobile phones and we check our messages maybe, or we check our work emails. Or do we grab our Bibles? Do we, give our ten, do we give ourselves 10 minutes even just to read a few verses of God's word to pray to him, Lord, please help me use this in my life for today? How are we deepening our Christian wisdom? What books do we read? Is my Kindle only full of uh, the kind of action thriller books that I love to read that take my mind off a 30-minute train journey in sweltering heat? Or could I sometimes intersperse that with books that are going to challenge, nurture, encourage me in my faith? Or is my mind too focused on the things of this world? How my exams have gone? How I can progress at work? How can I help my children move on to the next thing, to the next level? Where am I going on my holidays? Have I saved enough money? And they're not bad things of themselves, but, but that's the earthly mindset. And Paul says, if we're, going, if we're going on a different path, then our minds need to be different from that. And we need to follow those who set us a good example in that respect. I hope those who go to YF, you, know, you can ask your uh, leaders, what have they learned in their quiet times this morning, um, this week? Hopefully they've got an answer. And the second difference between those who live as enemies of Christ and those who don't is having mixed up priorities or celebrating the wrong things. I think Paul calls it glorying in their shame. And I think what he means is that um, people take pride in things which should actually be shameful. I think it's very much the attitude of programs like Love Island, which kind of celebrate sexual experience, infidelity, doing what feels good. And of course, that's not the only program. We wouldn't want to single it out. Um, and it's the same argument, actually, that's being used more and more within Christian circles by the LGBT lobby, for instance, who, who campaign against a traditional understanding of marriage and sexuality. I'll read a, a quote from one of their big campaigners from her new book. She says this, What is crucial, though, is this, We need to love and accept who we are. It's about making peace with ourselves. It's a heartwarming reminder that God longs for us to simply be ourselves. And it sounds like a great message, doesn't it? You know, that is very much the message of the moment of the world. If it feels good, that's fine. But it's totally, totally wrong. And I'll quote another um, Christian leader who's also same-sex attracted. Uh, His name is Sam Albury, and this week he said this, 
contrary to the message of our culture and the teaching of many in the church, Jesus does not put self in front of actualization, but denial. We will never become our true selves unless we yield our all to him. Trying to make peace with who you are now is not Christ's best for you. He's not come to endorse us, but to make us new. And of course, it's not just a question of sexuality. Glorying in shame is is when we hear people um, boasting about how drunk they were last night, last weekend. And sometimes we hear the same from Christians. It's people feeling smug because they've um, avoided paying as much tax as they probably should have. And Paul glories in Christ, in knowing Jesus. Paul glories in being counted worthy to suffer like Jesus. How different is that? The way of the Christian disciple and the way of the enemy of the cross. And finally, those living as enemies of God and make satisfying themselves their ultimate goal or their God, as Paul calls it. We don't exactly know um, what he means when, when he says uh, that, that their God is their stomach. But as a guess, it's literally uh, wanting self-fulfillment, that that's the ultimate goal. And we've pretty much mentioned it already, but it couldn't be a bigger contrast, could it, with when Paul says, for to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain, chapter 121. So what application should we, should we take from this, friends? Um, well, I think knowing what the world is like, what its mindset is, what its priorities are, and the destiny of the life lived apart from Christ, is that all the more we need to join with others and follow the right example. I hope you, hope you notice that in verse 17. We're not left on our own. We're to join with one another and follow these good examples. Uh, when I first came to HTC seven years ago, um, I don't know if this still happens or not, but what I thought was perhaps one of the best things in the church was that the young people of YF used to meet in little mentoring groups. And it wasn't, all, it wasn't just their YF leaders, actually. Um, it was, it was uh, mature Christians, adults in the church, would meet with small groups of teenagers to, to share their lives, to, I think, read a bit of God's word, to pray with them. And I mean, that is the perfect working out, isn't it, of verse, verse 17. We had the same challenge in a men's breakfast some months ago um, that we should be thinking about mentoring or being mentored. That's the model for, for standing firm, for seeing examples of Christian living going on around us. And that's really why we come to church, isn't it? I hope, I hope uh, that is why, that we would encourage one another. We need to join together to see godly examples so we can see that in five or ten years' time, it is possible to to keep going. That's why we never want um, this service to only be a youth service because the young people need to see older folk, older Christians, mature in their faith who are keeping on, keeping on. That's how we stand firm. And secondly, and um, much more briefly, we stand firm by remembering where our home is. I don't know if anyone here has uh, lived abroad for any period of time. Um, in my gap year, I, I went to Hong Kong, um, which, as you, you'll imagine, when you're 18, was something of an eye-opening experience. And I lived there for a year, and you can imagine that at, at first, um, 
when you go there, it's so intoxicating. Um, just a totally different um, language and, and culture and speed of living and size of buildings and everything. Um, but as you're there for more than a few days and then a few weeks and then several months, it starts to become normal. You're still commuting to work. It might be on a tram where no one speaks the same language um, rather than a, a southwest train, but it's still a commute to work. You start to eat the same noodles at lunchtime. I could never quite face them for, for breakfast. That was too much. But um, uh, you quickly become very similar to everyone else living there. And yet I didn't need um, my passport in my pocket to tell me that actually Hong Kong wasn't home that I was a British citizen and just an alien living in Hong Kong. And that's the same idea that Paul uses for, for Christians, the now and not yet experience of the Christian life, that actually we're citizens of heaven. He doesn't just say, because you're going to end up in heaven. He says, because we are now citizens of heaven. That's there in uh, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our status is different from those around us. And therefore, we've got to live differently. If we feel too at home here now, then I think something's wrong. If we're too comfortable, if we're too happy. I don't know if that shocks us. But um, I think what I've been most struck by as I've looked at uh, Philippians, this term, is, is, is the way that Paul uses that idea time and time again, that um, if we want to live now uh, as Christ wants us to, we've got to have the correct future focus. The first step, I think, on the, on the kind of wide road to destruction is thinking that this is all there is. But it's not. This is not all there is. This is not all there is. And that's going to save us from being too worried when things go wrong, when exams go wrong, when we despair over failures, when we're disappointed, when people fall ill, when they suffer, when we suffer sadness or loneliness. This is not all there is. This is not all there is. No, Paul talks about we have one Christian life. We don't start a new life when we die. We started that eternal life on the day we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. That's when we became a citizen of heaven. It's just at the moment we're not at home, but we will be going home. And knowing this means we can be saved from having our minds solely on earthly things, from glorying in things God hates from living only for ourselves because we know where we're going. And more than that, Paul says, we wait for our saviour Jesus from there because not only is there going to be a day, Paul said earlier, when every knee is going to bow to Jesus Christ as Lord. But on that same day, Jesus is going to transform our lonely bodies to be like his glorious body. And probably for some of us with... Uh, aches and pains who are not feeling as young as we once did. You know, that's something to look forward to. But even more importantly, and uh, something for everyone here, it's, it's that we need to ask ourselves the question, are we living in the light of that reality? Are we living in the light of the reality that you are going to meet Jesus, that I am going to meet Jesus, that I'm going to be kneeling before him? It could be this evening. It could be tomorrow. 
Are we ready? We will meet Jesus. So let's live in the light of that truth now. Let's follow godly examples around us to encourage us, not the way of the world. And let's remember where our home is. Therefore, brothers and sisters, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Amen.